Good morning and welcome uh, to our service this morning and it is great for us to gather by any means necessary and this morning I want us to talk about something that maybe we haven't thought of in a while and that is pleasure. You know it's weird to think about church and to think about pleasure and I want to bring our attention to Psalm 84 this morning and talk about this idea of real pleasure versus versus the idea of false pleasure. You know, one of Satan's most insidious lies is that the Christian life is void of pleasure. In fact, he has got us to think that the lie really is for us to pursue sin because sin brings real satisfaction. A lot of people struggle with that and have fallen to pray to that temptation that sinful things brings real satisfaction only to realize that they've fallen into a snare or trap. And many of us have been there. Many of us have been trapped by that. In fact, a Puritan named Thomas Gattaker, he wrote this and he proposed that, that the sole purpose for Satan is to persuade us that in the kingdom of God, there is nothing but sighing and groaning and fasting and prayer. Whereas the truth is in that, is that in God's house, there is marrying and given in marriage, feasting and rejoicing. In fact, Christ himself calls us his bride. He is the groom. And he right now is preparing for that marriage supper, the lamb. Anytime someone comes to the Lord, there is rejoicing. There's great pleasure that is with God. The thing is, is we have allowed Satan and his lie to redefine and reposition many of our thoughts of what real pleasure really is or what the purpose of real pleasure is. You know, we don't need uh, a Puritan and we don't need circumstances in our lives to refute Satan's lies. The Bible itself repeatedly proclaims the soul-satisfying joy of just knowing the Lord. In fact, Jesus started it himself when he said in John 10.10, 10, I have come to give them life, life abundantly, when he talks about his sheep and that how he lays down his life for his sheep. In fact, he went on to say, but the thief, we know he's talking about Satan, has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's really what a lot of the lies that Satan has perpetuated has done that in many people's lives. David himself in many of the Psalms has said it this way in Psalm 16 verse 11, In your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Wow. I mean, we can keep going. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Psalm 36, verse 7 and 8. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. 
And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house and give them to drink of the river of your delights. Isn't that so refreshing to think out of the stream of living water that God produces, you give us, God gives us a drink from that river of God's own delight. How about Psalm 63? It says this in verses three through five, because of your, because of God's loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as the marrow and fatness and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. Those verses don't sound like a depraved soul who has endured a life devoid of pleasure. They sound like a satisfied soul that has been pleasured by an amazing God who has met us with every one of our needs. Psalm 84 is another example. It begins by proclaiming, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord! Then three times the psalmist exclaims, How blessed! In verse 4, How blessed are the dwelling of your house! They are ever praising you. Verse 5, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you! Verse 12, O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you! They repeat these exclamations multiple times. That brings us to the point of our service today, and that is this, that the pleasures that God gives to satisfy our soul should fuel our desire, our heart, our desire to be in his presence. It's interesting to think about. You need to think about in this psalm, the psalm has changed. The psalmist who previously in chapters 42 and 43 and, and a couple other chapters was depressed and he had enemies all around him and he was just, his heart was just sunk with fear. Didn't know how he was going to get along in life. But that's not what he's writing now. Things have changed. The idea here is look at the blessings in the beginning of this chapter because they show us the pleasure that God uses to fuel these desires to be in his presence. Maybe you're struggling with being in the presence of God. And that's where I want us to think about what pleasure are we seeking We're going to read the Psalms here and then we're going to spend some time worshiping the Lord and then thinking about it some more. And we're going to glance over it a little bit and discuss it. But then I want to look at the conclusion of why the psalmist longs to be in the presence of God. Would you really listen to these words of the psalmist and the joy that's coming from being in the presence of God. Psalm 84, he says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, it faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. 
Even the sparrow finds a home, and the, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altar, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in, the, in your house, ever singing your praises. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways that lead to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold your shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trust in you. Lord, thank you for this psalm, and I pray that as we look at the many wonders of this, I pray that the same enthusiasm and joy that the psalmist had in his heart, that he got from you, from your spirit, that blessed him with these words to write, that it would teach our hearts, that it would just bless us, in this time that we long to be together. Many are tired of just trying to make this time apart work. I pray, Lord, for this little bit uh, time longer as we, we serve one another, as we find ways to help one another. I pray that, you, that we would, Lord, honor you, meet each other's needs, not for our sake, but for your glory. May we encourage others. May this psalm bless our heart and speak to some of us who are struggling the fact that we are not meeting at this time. May we see how blessed it is to worship you, not only individually, but Lord, corporately as one body. So Lord, we just ask that for this service, this time together in your word, that, you, that we would honor you, glorify your name. May you be lifted up. And Lord, I pray that your words would heal our spirit and encourage us and give us light to our path. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 84. As we got done singing and we read this and sang these beautiful songs of praise to the Lord. As we get back to our text this morning, I just want to remind us that many of us sometimes fall prey to these lies that Satan has produced, and we don't realize the joy of being in God's presence and the importance that it produces, the right kind of pleasure in our life. Remember, we are looking at the blessings at the beginning of this chapter, that show us the pleasures that God uses to fuel our desire 
to be in his presence. That's one of the things the Lord does when we gather, when we gather individually to seek the Lord, and when we gather corporately. Verses 1 through 4 shows us that the pleasure of being in God's house should fuel our desire to be in his presence. One of the things about coming to the Lord, coming to his house, coming to be together is simply the fact that it fuels our desire for the Lord. In the very beginning in this, it says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. And it's in the plural, and it may refer to various parts of the temple or the fact that God resides in heaven, and he resided in the temple during this time. And God manifests himself in this poetic form. How lovely is a beautiful expression. Expresses an attractiveness to be in the house of the Lord. In verse 2, we see that the psalmist longs to be in this temple, but is not able to be there. In fact, by the time we get to verse 3, he sees that the psalmist envies the little birds that can even make their nest at the temple. I know the idea of these swallows, uh, they make their nest just about anywhere. And you, can ima- and you can imagine as the psalmist comes into the temple and as he walks through and he gets to the courts, birds are flying and, and chirping and the, the singing, the songs of praise, the things that are going on in the courtyard with everybody worshiping God. And even the birds have found to make their nests there. After again addressing God as the Lord of hosts in verse 3, the psalmist reflects about his not only this corporate relationship that everybody has, but also this individual. He says, my king and my God. And although God is awesome and in power, who also commands all the powers in the heavens, all the angels, he is also our personal king. And now the psalmist claims, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. The blessedness of God's house is that There are men praising him. When we come together in corporate worship and and we come and we see people worshiping God, not just being at a house of worship, but actually worshiping God. It's precious. It's not only precious in the sight of God, it brings glory to the Lord but it is precious to the individual. The Bible reveals that many enjoy God's presence individually and corporately in any location. It may be in a church building. It may be at a beautiful outdoor scenery. And now that we are live streaming our services, you may be, uh, like at our house, um, we view our farm and Uh, We can see the majestic of the mountains. Last week, right in the middle of our Easter celebration, our cows got out and we saw them running out and and around. And many of you may have seen the pictures that we've posted about that. You might find yourself in many locations. And you may be alone and you may be with family and other believers 
As in the New Testament believers, we know that it is clear that no longer are, there are no longer any sacred buildings. This church that I'm standing in right now, is, this, it's a building. It's not sacred. Now, God wants us to take care of what he's given, but it's not sacred. God does not dwell in cathedrals, but rather in his people. God dwells in his people who are now his temple, both individually and corporately. But in our context here, the psalmist is pointing out that he longed to gather together with others, to sing praises to God, to hear the praises to God, to experience that together. Do you share in this longing? I've heard many talk about our time together and longing to be together and can't wait for things to change in our situation. But I love the fact that God is giving us that longing. That's the psalmist. The second thing we see in verses 5 through 9 as he moves down is that the pleasure of experiencing God's strength and to experience God's strength in our weakness should fuel our desire to overcome hindrances to get to God's house. Let me say that again. The pleasure of experiencing God's strength in our weakness should fuel our desire to overcome any hindrance to get to God's house. Which is here, God gives us his strength in our weakness so that we can overcome hindrance to worship him in his house. The psalmist is picturing us here in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in God, in you, in whose hearts are in the highways to Zion, whose heart is about getting to the house of worship in Zion. The picture here is a band of pilgrims making their way towards the temple through the difficult terrain and through the hills and through the desert over the rocks. The last phrase in verse 5 is difficult, literally, in whose heart are the ways. But in the context, it is meaning that the pilgrims have such a desire to be at God's temple that they make the rough desert path into highways. Literally, because they desire to get to the temple to worship and glorify God, that they'll take any desert, and they take that desert, and they turn it into a highway. It would be like us looking at the fact that if we knew that there was a house of worship on the other side of Mount Baker, we were going to make a highway right through and find any way we could to get there. In fact, as they are on their journey, as they're making their path through the desert, it says they pass through the Valley of Baca. The Valley of Baca refers to tears. Baca means tears. And it's symbolic of a place of affliction and difficulty. They're going through, like in Psalm 23, the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. And it says that the psalmist is talking about these pilgrims are getting and longing for the temple, that they go through this valley of tears. But look at what God does in their weakness, in their weeping, in the fact of their suffering, in their difficulty and their affliction. But they are anticipating joy at being together in the dwelling place of the Lord. 
And it turns that desert valley into a place of springs. It says here that springs take place. In verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. So they turn a valley of tears into a, a place of spring. God sends rains for them as they travel. And as a result, they go from strength to strength. Literally, what it means is like when you go from a desert, you go from one watering hole to another watering hole to another watering hole to get through to get through the desert, to survive. And we see here that God says that they long so much for the Lord to be in his presence that God uses his own strength to create these oasises for us, to strengthen us so we can keep getting to the house. So we can arrive safely and appear before God Meeting with God in the company of his people is a joyous goal, and I long and I look forward to that. Verses 8 and 9 seem to be like a parenthesis, that it, it, but in our context, it really fits with what it's trying to show us. That in God, God sends his strength in the middle of our weakness, and it's so pleasurable when God does that. And that is this, that prayer is the means of laying a hold of God's strength in our weakness. As he calls out for the Lord, Jesus Christ is God's supreme anointed one. In fact, Christ means anointed one. If you see at the the end of verse 9, he says, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed. (coughs) Christ is our shield and king, though whom you have access to God, the God of Jacob. You know, by the way, Jacob was weak, an undeserving man who wrestled with God, and he prevailed. Thus, the God of Jacob is the God of the weak and undeserving people who put their trust in him. Thus, the pleasure of being in in God's house should fuel our desire to be in his presence. You know, to think about what this is conveying as they go through this journey and the pilgrims are on their path with their eyes set on being in the presence of God, I I can't help but think about how that puts us to shame. As we were in Africa a little over a year ago, it was amazing to see all that the kids would go through to get to church, all that the people would go through to get to church. Uh, It wasn't like jumping in a car today. It wasn't like us arguing about what clothes to wear or or making sure everybody was fed. and all. Most of the time, people didn't even eat until after church, and they ate very little. Sometimes I'm reminded of, our, of some, even in our own church, who get up at the crack of dawn to make sure that they're at church on time, all because of the pleasure that they have because of what God has done. That brings us to the end in verses 10 through 12, and that is this, that the pleasure of enjoying God himself and his abundant goodness should fuel our desire to be in his house. The pleasure of enjoying God himself and his abundant goodness, the fact that he shares his goodness with us should fuel our desire to be in his house. Because of this, in verses 10 through 12, the psalmist shows us several concluding points about these wonderful verses. Because all that is true in verses 1 through 10, the psalmist draws these conclusions, these four statements, because of all of this, 
we have this. And here are these statements, starting in verse 10. If we look at verse 10, it says, In your courts, for a day in your courts is better than a day elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Number one, that we can draw conclusions, being in the doorpost of God's house is far better than all the pleasures of sin. The psalmist is telling us just to be a doorman, to say, come in, come in. Sit there and open the door for people coming in. To be a greeter. To be a greeter in God's house is greater than following through with any pleasure of sin. As Spurgeon puts it this way, in the treasury of David, he writes, the lowest station in connection with God's house, the very lowest station, is better than the highest position among the godless. God's worst is better than any of the devil's best. I want you to think about it. That's what the psalmist is trying. The psalmist has come to this great realization. He's come out of a depressing time, an affliction, being in the desert. His heart has just been taxed, full of anxiety, and yet he comes to this realization that being the lowest with God is better than being the highest with any of the sinful wicked. In a day when Christians skip church to pursue recreation, I wonder how many could honestly say that one day of gathering with God's people to worship him is better than a thousand days of other pursuits. You know, a time is coming here in a few weeks, a few months, uh, maybe the, this next month, when we are allowed to come back and gather together to publicly worship as one body, no more uh, trying to figure out all this technology. And my question is this. Are you going to gather everybody and tell everybody, let's go to church. Let's go and be together and sing praises together. Or are we going to find some excuse and say, well, I can just watch a live stream. I can sit in my pajamas. I can do other things. Or are we going to say being together is far better? The pleasure that we see that God gives us because of being together is far better. I know that the second thing here is so encouraging, and that is found in verse 11. It not only says it, the thing that we discussed, but in verse 11 it says, For the Lord is a son. The Lord is a son. The second thing is this, that the Lord God is our life of nourishment, of warmth and cheer. This is the only time in the Bible that I could find that God is directly referred to as the son. Um, we can note Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, or Luke chapter 1, but this is a direct re- uh, connection to the sun. The metaphor is in this context is of the travelers. The travelers, to be able to travel to get to God's house, there was no light for them to get there. In order to get there, they need the sun. As you go through the wilderness with no light, there's no way to tell the rocks, the caverns, the crevasses. The dangers, the wolves, they howl at night. If you live here in, in the Whatcom County, you know at night you hear the coyotes. Keeps me up at night wondering if they're going to get my, my little piggies or they're going to get my calves or my chickens. The sun is nourishment. 
It sustains all life on earth, a never-ending source of energy. It's cheerful. It's warmth. You know, we had all of this cold weather in the last few weeks. We have had this sun, and, and we sit out there, and we just bask in the glowing feeling of its warmth. It's so cheerful. It takes our sagging spirits when it breaks through the clouds after a storm and it lifts us up. And so is the Lord. The Lord is our nourishment. He is the warmth. He is our cheer. That's why we long to be in the presence of the Lord. That's why we long for his pleasure. Number three, the Lord God is our protection to finish the journey. One of the things is, is as these travelers are on their journey, as they go through and they're trying to get to the house of the Lord to worship the Lord, they're doing whatever it takes to get there, going through the valley of tears, and God is sustaining them. And as they pray out to the Lord in their weakness, God provides strength to strength to strength, oasis to oasis to oasis. And as the spotlight and as the sun shows them the way and lights their path, not only that, but they're exposed. Think about it. They're exposed, and the psalmist here says, for the Lord is the sun and shield. The Lord is our protection to finish the journey. So as the sun gives light and nourishes us, the shield gives us protection from the enemies. With the sun only, a band of pilgrims would be more conspicuous. They would stand out to the enemies. So God also is a shield to them, keeping them safe to the journey's end. God wants us to be in his presence. So he's our shield. The end of verse 11, number four, the Lord gives us what we don't deserve, his grace, his favor. Verse 11, it says, the Lord God is our son and a shield. The Lord bestows favor. Same word for grace. Grace humbles us because God only gives grace to the undeserving. If you earn it, then you deserve it. Then it's not grace. But a wage is due, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's grace. Salvation is entirely due to God's gracious choice. Apart from any foreseen faith or works, which would nullify grace. Romans 11.6 We receive God's grace at salvation, but... We also need his grace daily in order to walk with him. God's abundant grace in Christ motivates us to serve him. That's what God does. He gives us his favor. He gives us what we don't deserve. The Lord, number five, gives us rich blessings. His glory. Rich blessings. In verse 11, it goes on to say not only he gives us favor, he bestows us favor, but honor. It's the same word for glory in the ESV. I think the NSV says honor. This may refer to the future glory in heaven, but here it probably means that after God has taken his faithful into his favor, he will advance them to a high honor and never cease to enrich them with his blessings. God wants to pour his blessings out on us. Number six. The Lord will not withhold any good thing from us. Maybe you're thinking, no good thing? Well, what about a million dollars? If God doesn't withhold any good thing, if you look at uh, 
verse, 12, uh, verse 11 not only says that we bestows God's favor, his honor, no good thing does he withhold. So, Lord, where's my million dollars? Where's my perfect health? Aren't those good things? But maybe they're not a good thing for you. That was something hard at first. I felt like, well, Lord, I need good health when my thyroid quit and when I was going through a period of five years of just nonstop bad health. Uh, it was difficult for my family. And I felt like, you know what? I deserve good health, Lord. But you know, what's amazing is through all of that, through that valley of Baca, God brought me to a closer desire to be in his presence. God knew what I needed. God knew what was best and was good in my life. He didn't withhold any of the good. Actually, he expanded it. We have to interpret this promise in light of the many trials that the Bible shows God's servants enduring. Hebrews chapter 11, chapter of faith. This is where faith must operate. Although we may not understand God's purpose for our trials, and in fact why we are going through what we are going through now, but we know that God doesn't withhold anything that's good. Even though that we're not meeting together right now, God still knows what is good for us. We know that God causes all things to work together for those who love God. Now, for those who love God. For those who are called according to his purpose. In that sense, he does not withhold any good thing from us. But there's a condition. Right? He doesn't withhold any good from those who walk uprightly. The end of verse 11. As we conclude... The requirements, in conclusion, at the very end in verse 12, the requirements that we see here for enjoying God and his abundant blessings, the pleasure that he wishes to bestow on us, to draw us closer to him, to be in his presence, to long for him, the pleasure that he would give us to strengthen us, even in the midst of our weakness. The requirement in enjoying God and his abundant blessing is to walk by trusting in him alone. It's the idea of submission. To submit ourselves to God. The promise of God not withholding any good thing is for those who walk uprightly. To trust him. To submit to him. His blessing is on those who trust in him. To walk uprightly is to live before God with integrity. It doesn't mean perfection. It doesn't mean that you... It does mean, though, that you walk openly before God, confessing your sin, trusting in his grace and strength to overcome your sin. You seek to please God by obeying his commandments. Don't believe Satan's lie and lie that following God is a drag. Following the Lord is the most blessed thing in your life that is possible. The many pleasures that the Lord gives to satisfy your soul should fuel your desire to be in his presence, both individually and when his people gather to worship him. Is it a pleasure to be in God's presence? Jesus put it this way, said in Hebrews chapter 12, is remove anything that easily besets you. Remove all the sin, Hebrews chapter 12 looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy of set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, is now set at God's side, right-hand side. 
We need to take and take off all that. Matthew said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added unto you. God's pleasure, his blessing will be poured out in your life. Are you seeking God first? Are you going to do whatever it takes to go through that dry desert? Whatever coyotes, enemies, robbers, thieves are there, don't believe Satan's lie. Let God satisfy your soul. Let it fuel your desire to be in his presence. If you're struggling and you're looking out there and you say, it's, it's too far to cross in my life. I'm struggling. I don't, take whatever sin, ex- expose it to God's light, to the sun. Let him shield you. Let him protect you. Cry out to him as one that's undeserving. And let him put his righteousness in your life. Let him put his honor in your life. Let him put his glory in your life. Don't believe Satan's lie. Be like the psalmist. Long for the courts of the Lord. And praise him. Let's pray. As we close, Lord, there are some applications, some questions that we can answer, and I pray that we would do it together in our small groups as we meet online in our groups. I pray, Lord, that it would draw attention to the importance of being together, of being a body. Lord, to find pleasure in you, not in the things of the world. Lord, I pray that we would use this opportunity. We would not waste this time just focusing on being alone. But individually, would we draw our hearts closer to you so that way we would be willing to cross whatever journey you would take us through to get to the point where we are together worshiping you and honoring you and that our soul would find the deepest satisfaction. Because of what you have done for us. Because you have appeased through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son. You have appeased your wrath by putting all of your wrath on the Holy One, on Jesus. To take, away, to take our sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we are found in you, if we have repented and believed in you, Lord, you have wiped our sin away. By the blood of Christ. All of our sin has been placed on him. Lord, may we find pleasure in you. In our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. This psalm of praise. Of longing to be with you. And I pray, Lord, that it would bring encouragement to our hearts. About the importance of being in your presence. And may it refresh our soul. We thank you for your word that never fails.